Hogan welcoming you to the Prairie Doc program. Rick Holm, our Prairie Doc, is here ready to answer your questions of a medical nature. Dr. Holm's specialty is internal medicine. He's worked with the Avira Medical Group Brookings. He's served as a clinical professor at the University of South Dakota's Sanford School of Medicine. I barely get that out, don't I? Okay, good morning, Rick. Good morning, Joan. And good morning, enough Bob. on storms and whatever. What can we oh. talk about with medicine? Of course, well, medically, they should get out of there, right? You know, medically, uh, for their health, they should get the heck out of out of the path. And it looks like the path is just going to go straight up Florida. I don't know and, if it's... And take the whole of Florida and go all the way up the coast. We then, wondered, because we, we've got family on the uh, west coast that lived down there permanently, and you couldn't tell if it was going to go east or west. Now it looks like... The whole it's going to go right up the middle. Is going to get the whole the whole. Yeah, have state. you seen the lines? They, dr- the, they all keep of the drawing lines all those drawn, lines. Uh, right. Expected, and it just kind of covers up the. Well, it's going to be form. quite a storm. It's we've just barely so gotten over thinking about what's happened in Houston, which is heartbreaking and continues to be heartbreaking. Now we have another state. It's good we don't have to worry about global warming. Yes, good thing. I yep. uh, good thing we don't. You know, then the argument is: is global warming men? caused or not human caused or not and that's another that's another issue we know we've got global warming the question is what can we do about it and uh, would would do making an effort change it Uh, and that's an unknown uh, except to say that why wouldn't we try there Um, you go it may be unknown but let's at least try Let's try. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, we've been talking about weather, everything. We do have uh, two questions that came in yesterday, or last, I'm sorry, last Wednesday, and we couldn't get to them. We have another one that came in this morning. What we're going to do is take our first break, and for you women or men that called in last week, we'll get to your questions right away, and the person this morning will take care of you too, right after these words. Welcome back to Prairie Deck Medicine. We're happy to have you listening today. Dr. Rick Holm is here ready to answer questions that have been called in. These first two were called in last Wednesday. The first caller would like to know, um, can she donate blood? She takes an aspirin every evening and quinapril in the evening. I wasn't sure what quinapril was. I'm sure you do know. It's a form of uh, uh, antihypertensive medication. uh, To treat high blood pressure, right? Okay. And so uh, the answer is absolutely she can donate blood. There well, should she be can. no problem. Oh. Uh, aspirin should not affect uh, the ability to transfuse your blood. And it does uh, affect the platelets. Uh, platelets are the first at the scene. Uh, they're the EMTs or the police uh, that come immediately when there is a laceration and they just plug up everything as fast as they can and start the process. Uh, then the fibrin and the, the huge uh, process of clotting off uh, significantly the area, but the platelets are the first to stop the flow. And then the, the, the repair begins. Um, and so uh, aspirin will prevent the platelets from um, giving uh, clotting uh, uh, will we'll stop the clotting or slow down the clotting process. Well, that's okay. That's not a problem with blood transfusions. And you transfuse a person. The v- majority of people usually do uh, would do well if they had a little aspirin in there anyway. Uh, but particularly when you're taking blood, um, the the um, uh, you don't want it to clot off on its way, uh, cause clotting. On the other hand, of course, the person who's getting blood is generally bleeding from some reason. 
and uh, and so there is that little hint of well the platelets aren't as functional as they would be but you know if it really was a platelet problem then you would have platelet transfusions so um, I, the answer is um, platelet uh, aspirin is not a problem quinapril is just another medication that might dilate uh, up the vessels a bit and uh, uh, I, I, not a significant problem. So you go ahead and donate blood. I have never heard platelets called the EMT of your body. I love that yeah. term. They, they're, they're the first on the scene, you know. <laughs> first if, on the have scene. Have you ever okay. called the ambulance? I have. And how fast, how long did it take? Very fast. It's unbelievable. Brookings is very fast. It's you, amazing. If you have a chance, you know, they talk about uh, ability for uh, CPR to work. And they've done big studies up actually in Seattle is where a lot of these big studies have occurred. You know, if there's a cardiac arrest on the street with a bystander uh, witnessing versus a bystander not witnessing. Um, and, and then they've used it in other towns. But if you've got an active e, uh, EMT, you know, ambulance service, uh, then uh, and they can get there quick enough, then they can do... They can defibrillate, uh, they, can, um, they can start CPR, and uh, you know, the, the resuscitation numbers go up. Well, and we're if fortunate. This is, if, this is the best yeah. place in the world right. to have a cardiac arrest if you want to have resuscitation. Of course, if you don't want resuscitation, don't call it <laughs> 911. <laughs> they are faster. They the, really are so a fast. fine service. We're just fortunate in this town to have them. And our police is, is the, here's the other uh, thing that makes us special. The police officers uh, are sometimes the first there, and uh, they initiate everything, including um, uh, the defibrillator. They often get there before the ambulance. Right, right, yeah. right. I mean, you know, and they're patrolling and out in the, and they're boom, and they're there. I mean, it is amazing. My mom was having a heart attack and was visiting, sleeping on the couch. She called, whoa, I heard her mm -hmm. moaning, and I ran down the stairs. We called 911, and uh, I'm saying, what's going on, Mom? What's happening? And before I could blink an eye, I mean, it was two minutes. They were there. They two were there. minutes. Yeah, it's amazing. We're, we're lu really lucky, very lucky. We have a, well, we've known that for years. That's why we stay in Brookings. We have a fine community, a we lot of good services, community. great yeah, place, good lot. people. Let's get on to the next caller's question. Okay, I want to extend that. All that right, keep going. <laughs> So I've been to the Mayo for uh, a Whipple procedure, and of course I've been back for a follow-up visit something like uh, three, four, three weeks after the procedure for follow-up with an oncologist and a surgeon at the Mayo. And the oncologist said to me, the surgeon, of course he's a surgeon and he wants control over everything, but you know, he said, whatever you decide. But the oncologist said, well, Good. Here's a you know. Here's what it looks like. Here's what your chances are. Here's what kind of treatment we should continue or we should do. And in fact, he said no treatment until there's a recurrence. Really, is what we would do. You already had all the chemo, all the radiation that we know what to do on this that this cancer. And by the way, we really don't know what to do with your cancer because it's an unusual one. I've never treated this one before. But we think it's the same treatment as if it was an adenocarcinoma, which is a microscopic diagnosis. So, follow-up, he said, you could have your follow-up with your local doctor in Sioux Falls. I know Mark, and I, uh, he and I went, were together at our training in, at the Mayo. In fact, he was a year ahead of us, of me. 
And so um, my, my oncologist in Sioux Falls, um, uh, I let him know he knows exactly what's going on. And then I called him and said, it's, it's now three months since the last checkup. And that's what the timing was. I need to have a follow-up with you. And I'm presuming that you're going to want to have the CAT scan and the chemo as he had recommended. And he said, yes. And he set it all up in Brookings. And when I'm going to see him uh, next Tuesday okay. over the telephone, over the camera in Brookings. You don't even have to go down there. No, I'm not even going to Sioux Falls. I'm not going to the Mayo. I'm not going to Sioux Falls. I'm going to do it in right Brookings. Right here in Brookings. That That's neat? fantastic. Oh, okay. I am. I can't tell you how happy I am. And, of course, uh, the CAT scanner is newer than any they have in Sioux Falls and probably newer than they have in, in, at the Mayo. I, I don't know if the Mayo has something magical. But I don't think so. But we've got a new one here. And we have got a brand a new hospital. one and a yeah. wow, beautiful hospital. We sang in that hospital a week ago last night uh, for a couple people, and it was in a, such a beautiful place. Oh, we are fortunate great. and ready for the next. Uh, well, I'm glad the years. oncologist in um, Mayo said, "Let's not do any more. You're looking good." Yeah, I like that. He's from Iceland, and his name was Thor. <laughs> half Danerson because his father was a uh, full Dane and and uh, he is 50% Dane so they called him half Danerson is his last name so the question is going to be uh, he told me whether my kids are going to be Thorson and Thor's daughter or, or we'll just <laughs> leave them with half Danerson and I thought, you know, that's how they name. name people in Finland, you know. Okay, they, I did not know They're still know that. doing it that way. So he's not Danerson, he's half Danerson. Okay. So they may be Thorson and Thor's daughter, but... Thorson, that's where we got all the sons. And uh, I know when my mother first visited us, she said, does anybody in this town not have a son as a last name? Yeah. You know, <laughs> she'd never known so many sons in her life. They said, they're the know, sons yeah. of Norway, yeah, mother. Yes, yeah. we are. Well, you know, we, we do have two more questions. We're going to take our next break. I promise oh. you we'll get to them right after these words. Hi, Joan Hogan, welcoming you back to Prairie Doc Radio. We promised you we'd get to the next question. This was called in last week. The question is from a 94-year-old person. Fell and broke her nose. Should I have it repaired? I'm breathing fine. I'm 94. What should I do? Well, when I see somebody, you know, I'm sitting next to them or I meet them and their nose is shoved over to the side, I can't hear what they're saying i'm looking at their nose shoved over to the <laughs> side and it's a kind of a simple thing to just shove it back you got to shove it back quickly though i mean or it'll solidify yeah. at that off beat deal um i had a, a nurse practitioner training with me and one of our patients was you know um combative and so the combative person kicked her foot at my student and broke her nose right oh there. My. Oh, uh, In the emergency room, she broke her nose, and I and she came up and looked at me, and her nose was shoved way over to the oh. side. And so I, uh, I made sure that someone was watching the combative person and then just took care of the nurse practitioner Did and shoved it back shoved over it, to that's the... That's what I was going to say. I you numbed the area really yeah. carefully. At the time, we nice. were using uh, cocaine to numb the nose. So I just cocaine, coconized her nose. Just, I mean, you know, she was happy about it. 
<laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Oh, okay, Rick. Well, Whatever you do. Well, I'm feeling fine. I mean, does this hurting you? No, no. I'm, I'm doing good. So we shoved that nose back over in place, and her nose looks just fine. Thank oh. you very much. I would do that at even at 90 whatever 94 right uh the other th thing is if she can breathe the moon the main thing really though is can she breathe all right and yeah. if she's breathing fine no problem okay. so i you well, know dr reach does a really good job we can set her up with a nearest nose and throat somewhere else too so. okay well call your doctor get it taken care of yeah our next call came in this morning and uh a person would like to know with a heart condition they don't know whether to increase or decrease their salt intake and their water intake. If you have a heart condition, do you increase, decrease salt or water or it, both? It all depends upon the heart condition. Oh, there's interesting differences in heart conditions. Oh, huh? yeah. But let's say that the major condition is, how old is this person, do you know? No age. Sorry. So I mean, if They you, have an age, I just don't know yeah. it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so let's just say that the majority of, problems with the heart can lead to heart failure now that's a bad name it shouldn't be failure that that that's that connotes the end and then and an emotional responsibility so i like heart weakness okay so if they have heart weakness then uh sometimes fluid overload is a problem and you treat that with as a rule as uh, not only vasodilators and beta blockers, but diuretics. And you get rid of salt and fluid with diuretics to ease the, the, f um, the backup of too much fluid that's being demanded on the heart. Now that's, I think, a good way of explaining it. So the, so the question is, if you overload the heart with extra salt, let's say you love pickles or potato chips, which are just loaded with salt, uh, what what about those situations? And the answer is they can overload the heart. I've watched it. I've uh, I've seen people uh, uh, dump into failure uh, from uh, eating too much salt. Uh, what about drinking too much water? I've I've watched people. I mean, I've been trying to dry them out and get in the, reduce the fluid load, and they're just drinking up a ton because somebody told them that they had to drink all this water. And and they're they're their own they're their own problem. Uh, their sodium drops because of it as well. So um, I think they're, the answer is a good answer is exactly what that person is saying. Maybe I should be careful with the amount of salt I'm using. Maybe I should be careful with the amount of fluid I'm drinking. If you're on diuretics and you're you're pushing water, then you're countering the the very job that the diuretics are doing. So I be careful. Talk to your doctor about it. I think that it's wise to drink when you're thirsty. If you're not thirsty, don't push fluid. And I think that goes for everybody. How about salt and water for the rest of us who have normal hearts? If, you know, if you're under 70 and you have a normal heart, I don't think you, you know, there was one study done by Dr. Tuttle from Emory University who I knew very well. He tried to overload himself with IV fluids. And he said he peed a lot, but he couldn't do it. He couldn't overload his heart. The heart would handle it. The heart and the kidneys would handle it. He was a nephrologist. Uh, the kid, you know, your body adjusts. He ran the experiment on himself, though. Yeah. Huh. 
Interesting. Uh, so, I mean, salt and water in a normal person, and I've, I've often said don't push fluid, but your body takes care of it. I mean, it just adjusts. It is a balancing organism. It balances everything. It gets rid of fluids when you're overloaded. It holds on to fluids when you're dehydrated. Um, it use it if it needs salt. It will hold on to salt and dump potassium. Uh, if it needs or doesn't need um, this or that, it takes care of it. You know, and the classic example of the adjustability of the body is the vitamin C story. So you go uh, out on the ocean in the 1500s from, um, and you don't have any uh, vitamin C in your diet, and you get scurvy. I mean, you get uh, withdrawal from the vitamin, you get uh, not enough vitamin C and you get diarrhea and dementia. Um, and uh, with diarrhea and dementia, you're pretty well uh, brought to the sick bay and you die. I mean, you, you know, you, 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 you right. don't live very well. Uh, if you give them um, uh, a, a half of a lime a week, then you don't get scurvy. You don't need much vitamin C. You just need just enough and you can uh, keep, this is why the Brits, you know, with their limeys, the limeys. <laughs> uh, were able to conquer the world because they had the answer. Somebody from England discovered that vitamin C is what prevents scurvy. Now, let's bring it to modern day. If you're taking a vitamin C tablet like crazy every day, the 1,000 micrograms or whatever, I will prescribe a lot of vitamin C to, uh, to uh, 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 people Sometimes when they have recurring urinary tract infections, and what it does is it acidifies the urine, and it makes it hard for the bacteria to live in that bladder, and uh, people have less problems. I've, I've seen it. Uh, you know, the studies are not very supportive of it, but it really does seem to work anecdotally for my patients. Okay? And so you stop vitamin C on them, and they're living a normal life, and they have uh, orange juice and whatever it is in a normal diet, and uh, plenty of vitamin C normally. But here they've been dependent on huge doses of vitamin C to acidify their urine. They stop it abruptly. They will have diarrhea for a period of time until their body gets back to working on trying to gather the vitamin C that they're getting in their regular diet. Gets pretty lazy. I don't need to work to get vitamin C. I'm taking 1,000 grams three times a day to acidify urine. I don't need to work on gathering the vitamin C. Oh, I'm out. Okay, I better start working on how to do that. Takes me a couple of weeks, a little diarrhea during the time. But then they're okay. Then they get okay. Wow. Isn't it amazing? Your body, Your body is, is a changing, adjusting metabolism. And that's why it's hard to figure out what is the essential elements in a diet because our body adjusts so much. It's hard to say. It's hard to yeah. figure it out. It's hard to <laughs> prove any, any problem. This is why people make so much money on all these diet remedies, because there really isn't one remedy for everyone, is no, there? No, no. Yeah. The yeah. body is such a... And, you know, of course, some people may have a little diet or may have a deficiency here and need it. But to prove it and to define it is really difficult. And so it's a... Uh, if you look at the science behind all of the supplements... Uh, almost all of the supplements, not vitamin D, not B12, but most of the supplement, not C if you got bad bladder. But if you look at most of the supplements, we don't have the data there. I mean, you can look at uh, little kitties that are born with some weird uh, abnormality, and we've been able to prove it in that little baby, 
um, then we can give them the special diet, but that's one in a, you know, 100,000, you it's know. It's just so very difficult to tell. Just hard to know. Okay. Well, we're going to take our final break. Maybe when we come back, we can talk about tomorrow night's Prairie Deck radio Ooh, pro- let's tel- do that. television program. Welcome back to Prairie Deck Radio. Let, let's just say a word about tomorrow night's show. It's on dental uh, health. Dental health for the uh, elderly. Yes. That'll be interesting. And we have a dentist from Watertown. I didn't ask any dentist from Brookings because. This guy was very interested in doing it. He did it two, year, two years ago, uh, was our guest. It was really good. So I just asked Dr. Prouty again because he's just really glib, you know. Uh, so Dr. And so Dr. I'm Brian com- Prouty will I'm be the dentist on air with you tomorrow night. And, and we're going to talk about, you know, particularly uh, dental problems uh, for the older population, things that we can do to solve them. But before we get to any dental issue... Bob, you had a question in the break. Let's talk about West Nile. Well, I just wondered if I'm bitten by a mosquito and I, they transmit to me West Nile virus, but I don't really suffer any ill effects. Maybe I have a headache or some body aches for a couple of days, but then mm-hmm. I go and donate blood. Will the person who receives my blood then also inherit the antibodies that my body has produced? Right. For the most part, that infection is gone shortly. You're, you develop antibodies. We thought that we would measure antibodies and in blood and we would find in this um, environment and this was our thought maybe five years ago that everybody would have antibodies well they didn't really it wasn't as much as we thought it would be but if you transfused if your blood with an antibody to West Nile virus was transfused into into anybody then they would have for a short period of time what's called passive immunity somebody else's immunity to fight the West Nile infection. Isn't that interesting? Passive immunity. But they won't develop active immunity unless they got a vaccination from it, which is our hope that we could find a vaccine. But we don't have it yet. Uh, That's active immunity. Your own immunity that's active and it's going to stay with you for a long period of time, a year, maybe a lifetime. Uh, For example, rabies. A person is bit by a rabid dog you have to give them two shots. One of the shots you give them is passive immunity. Somebody who's developed antibodies to rabies because you can't take the chance that your active immunity will be hot enough to fight the infection in them. And if you get rabies, you're basically dead. I mean, it's there's been one person or two that have survived rabies, but they're still they're in a nursing home now. And it's so neurotoxic, it's just... Uh, you just have to get those shots almost immediately, don't so you? So you get two shots. One of them is uh, it's somebody's blood that has antibody to rabies. And the second is killed rabies v- virus. And the killed rabies virus, and this is what uh, Louis Pasteur developed, was uh, the person develops, not only they have a passive immunity for a period of time, but they develop an active immunity and the rabies doesn't kill them. What if they're uh, allergic to eggs? Um, I think, well, I don't have the answer to that. That's a really good question. Uh, If you get bit by a rabid dog, would find a way to allow you, you, I think your allergy to eggs uh, can be countered. (laughs) <laughs> we're going to go for saving your life, take a risk, uh, and they would counter it. Or they may find, we may be, maybe it's not an egg 
vaccine. It's amazing to me that Pasteur was able to figure out that you inject the rabies vaccine, the rabies virus, into uh, a duck egg, and from there you extract the antibodies to provide you with the immunity that you need. Well, I mean, it's the it's not the antibodies. The antibodies uh, you get from someone else's transfusion. It's the dead virus. So what you do is you have an infection in that duck egg and it's going crazy and then you um and and then you you kill it with heat or something with heat or something you know the, the he discovered this because he was working with uh diarrhea in chickens and he was giving diarrhea to a chicken the chicken would die he would, he was giving you know he was tr- testing methods of of spreading this this terrible uh, chicken cholera that was running through France at the time. And he was just burning out, and he said, you know, honey, we're going to go on a vacation. And he had these vials of chicken diarrhea in the window, and he just left everything. And when he came back, he had these viruses that had been killed by the sun or, yeah. or really just plain weakened. Died. Weakened. Weakened. So they might be alive, but they're not doing really well, right? They sat in the sun for two weeks while he was on vacation in the Riviera or wherever the hell he went. Sorry. And then <laughs> he gave those to the chickens, and the chickens didn't get sick. So then he said, well, wow, that's, oh, I shoot, I need a fresh, I need some fresh di- chicken diarrhea, cholera, to give to these chickens. So he gave the chickens the fresh cholera that was going to, you know, certainly kill them. Well, they had already had the, the weakened cholera, and they didn't die. The ones that had give, been given the weakened uh, virus didn't, or infection, bacterial infection, actually, didn't, didn't die. die. Oh, my. And so it's weakened chicor- chicken cholera that went light bulb, and he developed rabies vaccine, and there was a kid that was bitten and it, he, by a, a wild dog, and it was that situation he didn't know for sure it was going to work and the mother was pleading with him and he's like, i can't do this this is a kid she's going to die the kid is going to die you've got to save my child and he did hey. we're running over i'm for we I'm, really are i'm but really fascinating sorry. always fascinating we hope all of you enjoyed our prairie doc radio program and we'll listen again to prairie doc brought to you by the avera medical group working it's rick that's all till next week thank you joan and bob and stay healthy out there people